For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. technology. Uh, remember, just one announcement. Uh, we still have Sunday school. We started back this morning. We will continue on at nine o'clock. So please uh, mark your calendars. Join us for Sunday school um, moving forward. Also, I would like to take one moment to read a card from Miss uh, Sue and David. It says this. Powell's Chapel Baptist Church. Thank you for your beautiful plant garden you sent in memory of Andy. Andy loved flowers and plants. We appreciate your thoughtfulness. Thank you for all your prayers, food, cards, <clears throat> and phone calls. We are blessed with a wonderful church family. Thank you so much. Love, Sue, David, and the family. Uh, thank you for that card, Miss Sue. Miss Sue, we uh, will continue to pray for you. This is not once he passed away do we pray we'll continue to be with you and support you any way that we can. So please let us know how we can do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll dive into God's holy word this morning. God, we do, we come and humble ourselves before your mighty hand this morning and ask for your peace. I do ask that for Miss Sue and David and their family. They lost Andy. I pray that you would minister to them in such a supernatural way that they would feel your presence. When they cry, God, I pray that they would know that you are there to hold their tears and to hold their hearts. I pray that they would know that they have a church family that loves them and cares for them. Continue to walk alongside as they uh, grieve and go through the grieving process. They are not alone in this these moments, God. I'll pray that for Brother Belvin Cox this morning as he lost his wife. We pray for him this morning that you would uh, minister to him. I know he was a, a man of faith and so was she. And so we take great comfort that she is in your presence rejoicing wholly with you. Now, God, I pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, move our hearts to this passage of Scripture that you gave to us through the Apostle Paul, and that this passage of Scripture to minister to all of us in the room. You have given us your word to minister to us, and I pray that that's exactly what it would do this morning. It would transform us. 
Lord, make us more like your son Christ. Whether we're far from, from you and we do not know you at all, we take a step in that direction that you, through your grace and peace, as we see throughout your word, will move our hearts and stir our hearts and that we become obedient to a place of repentance. And God, for those who are in the room that have been moved to a place of repentance, I pray this would be an encouragement to us. We'd be reminded of what your great sacrifice was and how your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, reconciled us back to you. And that is such a sweet gift. It's so often I know in my own life I take for granted. And I pray this morning you would stir my affections, even as I preach and proclaim this word. Be reminded what the cross has done for me. So lead us, guide us, bring us hope this morning. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. We are in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, by God's grace to us, we'll finish chapter 1 next week. Uh, we are here, though, if you remember, have been with us. We're, we're walking through this book, this letter that Paul gave to this small church in Colossae. And this young group of believers uh, were beginning to wander from the faith that these men had come in and began to teach other things other than the supremacy of Christ, meaning that Christ is supreme over all things. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to, through the word of God, to bring them back to see and understand that Christ is supreme over all things. We looked last week at this beautiful hymn that Paul had written that just his heart was so stirred with what God had done for him and who God was and who Christ was that he's singing this declaration or this doxology back to God himself. And then in verse 20, he says this one word, and now he's going to go from a 30,000 foot view of this one word to a very personal view of this word. The, the word is reconciled. He says, and through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, Christ has been given to us by God to reconcile all things back to himself. The word reconciliation means this, to bring back together, to join again. What Paul is talking about is what happened back in the garden. Remember back in the garden that God had made mankind in his own image and that they had fellowship and they had delight in one another and they had love for one another. There's nothing that came between God and man. And that God walked with man and man walked with God in, in a way that none of us in this building ever have before. That there was no sin that, that tarnished their relationship. And as you know, in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin entered the picture and, and shattered that relationship. That's what sin does in our walk with God. In our relationship with God, sin shatters any moments of intimacy with God unless we are reconciled back to him. We, all of us in this building need reconciliation. And so Paul is saying, hey, Christ came to reconcile all things even nature itself is going to be reconciled back to God. But now here in these three verses, he now says, but let me talk about reconciliation on a very human standpoint, on a relationship with God. Yes, it's all things, but now let me talk to you, the believer. 
And this is not just for the believer, though he's writing to the believer. This is also for you. If you're here this morning, you do not know Christ. Paul is talking to you what it means to be reconciled to God. That's a necessity. And so, if you don't know Christ, my hope and plea this week is that you would be reconciled through God because of this passage. My other hope, though, the other side of that coin is for you, the believer, this morning. That you would leave here rejoicing because of the reconciliation you have. Not because of anything you've done. We'll see that in the very first few words in chapter 1, verse 22. It is God who reconciled you. That ought to lead us to a place of doxology. That means it's worshiping God wholeheartedly. And so this morning, I want to look at this passage in four ways. The four ways are this. What is the need for reconciliation? See that in verse 21. The second thing we'll see is the source of our reconciliation. The third thing we'll see is the goal of reconciliation. And the last, therefore, is what is the application or what is the expectation of our reconciliation? So the need, the source, the goal, and the expectation of reconciliation. So let's dive into what Paul is saying to the believer, to you this morning, to me this morning, and also to you, the unbeliever, this morning. Paul says this in verse 24. 21. This is the need for reconciliation. He says this, and you, church, you, the believer, who were once alienated, hostile in the mind, and doing evil deeds. This is the reason you need reconciliation. Paul says three reasons that you need reconciliation. That's for all of us in the room. All of us in the room can check off all three boxes. But we must remember, all of us, we were once what? Alienated from God. That word alienate means to be estranged from. It's even harsher than that. It means ill-suited for. Meaning we're not even suited to be in relationship with God because of our sin. Our sin alienates us from God. It pushes us away from God. We're ill-suited for God because of our sin. There's this harsh reality all of us in this room were once alienated from God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant or to the promises of God. Catch this part that Paul says, having no hope, Our alienation from God leaves us with no hope. And you may be sitting here saying to yourself this morning, I've never been hostile to God. There's not any behavior in my life that would show that I've I've been a good person. I've done good deeds. I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery. Like I look at my life and it's good. Well, Well, Paul says to us, no, You and I were alienated from God. We were estranged from God. He goes on to say it this way in the next word. You were hostile to God. Not only were you alienated from God, 
But in your alienation from God, you are hostile to God. You know what that word means? That you are an enemy of God. That ought to scare all of us. All of us in the room. Because we've been alienated from God. we become enemies of God. That word means we hate God at our core. Every one of us. And again, you may be sitting, well, that's never been me. No, that's what God's word says is true about you. That's what God's word says is true about me. Not only are we alienated from God, but we become hostile to God. We are enemies with God. It it carries this idea that we refuse to be reconciled to God. In our core, we don't want to be reconciled to God. Now, I'm going to move to how that's such a beautiful gift, our reconciliation. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are all sinners. Sinners don't like God. That's what makes us sinners. Not just that we do bad things, but we hate God. We're enemies of God. We're hostile to God. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. For the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It's what many theologians say this. At our core, our sin nature, we are sinful people at our core because of the fall of Adam. There's the, the natural man still lives in us that rebels constantly against God and the things of God. We're alienated from God. We're hostile from God. He says this. We're hostile to God. We do not submit to God's law. Indeed, we cannot submit to it. We can't because of our alienation and our hostility. We cannot on our own submit to God's law or God's will. It says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we're alienated from God. We hate God. We're enemies of God. And then Paul goes on and says this. We do evil deeds. You see, because we're alienated from God, in our bodies we want to refuse God and move away from God, we will do evil things. All of us in this room, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He says, you may not have done this, but if you've done it in your heart, you've done it. If you hate somebody, it's as if you've murdered them. That's what Jesus himself says. So we just take Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, apply those texts to our lives. All of us in this room are guilty, and we all must say we are alienated and hostile and do evil things against what God has called us to do. Therefore, there is a need for reconciliation. Jesus himself says it this way in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pridefulness, foolishness. All evil things come from within. They defile a person. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, all of us are guilty of those things. Now, all of us ought to take a self 
examination. Is that true of you today? The answer is yes. That has been true of all of us in the room. My other question, though, are you an unbeliever? That is still true for you today. I promise I'm going to get to the hopeful part in the passage. But we must start with, hey, why is there even need for reconciliation? Why is there a need for the cross? Why was there need for atonement for our sins? Because we hate God. That's true of all of us. And so I would ask you this question this morning. If you are a believer, can you remember when you were alienated from God? Hostile in your thinking towards God. And doing evil deeds towards God and other people. That ought to lead us to a place of rejoicing if you are a believer this morning. Because further on the passage, Paul says to us what reconciliation gives to us. Do you and do I, remembering of where we once stood before God, does it move us to gratitude for what God has done for us in our salvation? If you are a believer, when you sing, you ought to scream and sing at the top of your lungs for all that Christ has done for you. And now Paul moves on to say it this way. He says, this is who you once were, alienated, hostile in the mind, doing evil deeds. And then he says in verse 22, he has now reconciled. You once were this, but who did the reconciliation? Not you and not me. He reconciled us. He moved in on our behalf and decided to do relationship and friendship for us when we were enemies of him. There's nothing in us to move towards God until God moved towards us. He did the reconciliation. You did not reconcile yourself to God because of a prayer. You were reconciled to God that caused you to do the prayer. And so he's saying, now what Christ has done for you, he's reconciled you. But how did he reconcile you? How did that reconciliation, how are you and I once far from God, now brought close back into intimate relationship with God? He says, Paul says, it is through what? In his body of the flesh, by his death, the source of our reconciliation is not a prayer. The source of our reconciliation is by the death and blood of Christ Jesus and Christ alone. And what Paul is saying to these Colossians is this. Hey, I know people are saying you can get reconciled to God through Christ's blood and body, but you can also get it this way. Now, we may, it may not sound that way in the world to us, but the world is telling us the same thing. There's a lot of ways to get to heaven. There's a lot of pathways to get to heaven. No, Paul here clearly states there's one, only one way to be reconciled to God, to be in his presence, to be in relationship with him. It's through his body and his blood that was shed for us on the cross. 
The source of your reconciliation is by Christ and Christ alone. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, you know the passage well. For while we were what? Still enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled. Shall we, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We are reconciled to God because of God sending Christ Jesus to die for us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ Jesus, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger, a covenant of the promise, having no hope without God. I read those verses earlier. And then he says this in verse 13. But now in Christ you were once far off have been brought near. How have you been brought near? Not by a prayer. By the blood of Christ. You've been brought near by Christ's blood so that you are no longer alienated from God, hostile in your mind from God, and doing evil deeds. For he himself is our peace. He made peace with us. We did not make peace with him. Verse 16. He says this, and that we might reconcile us both to God and into one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. What hostility is Paul talking about? The hostility that we have towards God. I could do a whole other sermon on this. Not only does it kill our hostility towards God, it ought to kill our hostility towards one another being reminded what Christ has done for us. So I'd ask this question about the source of your reconciliation, my reconciliation. Do you understand the great price that it costs both God and Christ to bring us back into relationship with him? It costs you nothing. It cost us him everything. His life. Jesus' very life, it cost him to reconcile to us. It cost God, his only son, John 3.16 says to us. So the source, the need for our reconciliation is that we hated God. The source of our reconciliation is Christ and Christ alone. So what is the goal of reconciliation? It, It can't just be to be friends with God. Paul goes on to say it this way. This is the reason or the goal of being reconciled to God. This is what happens in us when we are reconciled to God. He says this. In order to what? The reason that you and I are reconciled to God, the reason Christ did this for us is threefold, he says in this passage. He says that you were to be, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. So Paul says Christ reconciled us by his life, death, and resurrection in order that he, not us, that he would present us before God the Father. And he presents us in three ways before the Father. 
that he'd present us holy before the Father, blameless before the Father, and above reproach before the Father. So what does it mean that he would make us or present us as holy? Holy means this, to be a set apart from sin, to be set um, in relationship with God. To be a set apart from sin and be set apart for God. So Jesus, in his reconciling us, sets us apart from sin, meaning he takes us out of the bondage of sin and places us over here in him. So now if you're a believer, you've been set apart from sin. Yes, you will sin again. But, but the power of sin in your life has been removed from you, and the penalty of sin has been removed from you. We will sin, but those two things, at our conversion, at being reconciled to God, makes us holy. It sets us apart. And now what are we set apart for? We're set apart for God, or as Jesus says, for good works. Our good works are to glorify God, and we can glorify God in a thousand different ways. So Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself, sets us apart, and makes us holy. Now why would he not just stop there? He says two more things must happen at our reconciliation. The next one is this, that we are blameless. The word blameless means without blemish, which says to you and to me that when God now looks on us, he no longer sees us stained by sin, but stained by the blood. So we are now without fault, without a blemish, not because of anything we've done, but because Christ Jesus sets us apart, makes us holy, and now we're blameless before a holy God. You see, without being blameless before a holy God, God's holiness would obliterate us. So we need God to look on us blameless through the blood of Christ. If not, if you enter into heaven without that, I promise it's not going to set well for your soul. And so he needed to set us apart and he needed to make us blameless, without blemish. But he doesn't stop there. So he says, the goal of reconciliation is to make us holy and blameless, but also above reproach. What does it mean to be above reproach? What Paul is saying, it means that there can now no, mean that there can be no charge brought against us. Like, not only does he make us blameless, but now he wipes out all of our past sin. Now, all of our past sin that we've ever committed or will commit because of what Christ has done for us at the cross removes that charge against us. Thank God for that. All the things that you and I have ever done because of what Christ does for us makes us above reproach. No charge. Is brought against us. That's what Paul asked the question. He asked the question in Romans chapter 8. He says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one can bring a charge, not even God himself, because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. God is the justifier. And God himself cannot any longer bring any condemnation or any judgment onto us because of Christ Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, who's in control of all things, 
can bring judgment at any time he desires, no longer can do that because of what Christ has done for us. Now that ought to make us jump out of these pews, run around this place, look like Pentecostals, and sit back down. Like we ought to be screaming at the top of our lungs, thank you, Jesus, that you made me holy, blameless, and above reproach. That one day I'll stand before a holy God and God's holiness will not smite me. But God, because of how he looks at me, stained by Christ's blood, will welcome me into his presence. That ought to stir our affections for God. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop with what it's now. Now he says, okay, now because of all that Christ has done for you, because of how far you've come, now here's some expectations that go along with our reconciliation. He says it this way in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which he has proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister, the first expectation is this, that you will persevere. Now, now what that means not is this, that you might persevere. That is a promise. If you are in Christ Jesus, you will persevere to the end. There, what Paul is saying is, you cannot lose your salvation. Anyone that says to you, hey, you've got to keep it all right, or you're going to lose what you're given, it, that is a false doctrine, and run for the hills for that. But what Paul is saying is this, you need to continue to test your salvation with much fear and trembling, and you will persevere to the end if you are saved. There's many people that claim to be Christ, that pray to prayer, have walked out of a church, and have never lived their life for Christ. I would say to you with all boldness and with, with all humility, they do not know Jesus. You cannot simply walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, and get your ticket into heaven. What Paul says, what Jesus says is that you and I must have a life that looks like a life of Christ Jesus. And therefore, I'll persevere all the way to the end through all the trials. So what Paul is pleading on behalf of this young church is, hey, let your faith take root and persevere. I know that that's not very fun to say. Not my, maybe you don't agree with that. I'm just telling you what God's word says. You cannot simply pray a prayer to be saved. You and I have to live a life that bears fruit of our salvation. If I said to you, that tree in the front of my house is an apple tree, and you came to my house every season and it never grew apples, you think, Todd, you might be out of your mind. That's not really an apple tree. But if I came to you and said it's an apple tree, and every year you came and picked apples, you'd be like, I think it's an apple tree. That's got to be true for our lives, church. Our lives must produce fruit that shows the world that we're really his disciples. And when we do that, we will persevere, as Paul says. Let your faith, he says, take root. Continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting. I would ask you this morning, because of what Christ has done for you, 
reconciling you in the faith. You have a steadfast faith. A faith that is not shifting. And a faith that will persevere to the end. Paul doesn't stop there, though, with the expectation. He ends it by saying, if you've been reconciled to God, he says it this way, follow me as I follow Christ, is what Paul says in another one of his epistles. But this is what he says at the very end. He says, the expectation is that we persevere and we will proclaim. Proclaim what? He says, the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That word minister does not mean this. The word in the Greek means a servant of the gospel. A servant that will go out and proclaim the message of reconciliation. Turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. is what Paul says, and I'll close us this morning with this passage. He says there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ or been reconciled to Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, meaning that you're holy and blameless and set apart. You are a new creation this morning. All this is from who? God, through Christ, who reconciled us to himself. And in reconciling us to himself, what did he give us? In the passage, it says this, because he reconciled us, he now has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That means the proclamation of God's reconciliation to a lost and dying world. Because you've been reconciled, Paul says, Christ Jesus now has given us the ministry. It's not just my ministry as a pastor. It's yours as well. Every believer is called to minister the gospel, the message of reconciliation, Paul says. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Do you want to know what the ministry of reconciliation is? It's going to a lost world, appealing to them, begging them, imploring them to come to Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's all we have to say to people. And if it's up to God, then the results are up to God. All that we have to do is be ministers of the gospel and let God do what God's going to do and draw people to himself. I wish I could make people come to Christ. I have to make my job easy. But I have to beg God to use me to draw those that he wants to draw 
the same way that he drew me. And I've got to remember that I was once alienated from God, that I was once hostile to God, and I was doing evil deeds. And then I remember what God's reconciliation did for me. I rejoice and want to go take that to the world. If God can do it for me, God could do it for anyone. If God could do it for you, God will do it for anyone. Let us be ministers of reconciliation by taking the gospel to a lost world, reminding them and saying to them, you're alienated from God. You're hostile to God. You're an enemy of God. You do evil deeds. But let me tell you about the great news of what Christ's blood has done for you and has done for me. It's brought us back to God. And God wants to be brought back to you. And God is chasing you. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, he's the hound of heaven running after you. But we, believers, must take the message to those who have never heard so they can respond the same way you responded. May we persevere to the end and proclaim his great message. Let me pray for us as Jared comes and sings the invitation.